Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. schooler I struggled with friends especially just not knowing what crowd I wanted to hang out with so I was more like just I hung out with everyone and I never found that one person or that one friend group I wanted to hang out with and so then it just came to be like I was a different person every single day I kept hanging out with this group and that group and I kept changing my personality and I couldn't find who I was I knew I was missing something. So my friend comes up to me and she says, have you ever been to Vive? And I was like, no, what's that? And so she said, well, it's like youth and it's just pretty much middle school and high school. And I was like, oh, cool. And so she invited me to come one night and I I did. And I was like, wow, this is really, really cool. And then she invited me to come to camp. And I attended camp, I signed up and I actually was in this room and we came in for a sermon and I didn't know what was about to happen but the pastor spoke to me in a way that I couldn't explain. I felt like I was in the room by myself and I sat there and I talked to God and I was like, God, I don't know what to do. And the pastor said, he said, do you, any of y'all want to get saved? And at first I was like, you know what? He was like, stand up right now if you want to get saved. And I, I kind of peeked up and I saw my friend. She stood up and she she was ready and she was confident. I didn't know what I was doing. I was sitting there and I was being a coward and I wasn't answering God's call. And the pastor asked a second time, he said, does anyone want to get saved? And I just sat there and I didn't know what to do. And then he said, does anyone want to get baptized? And I said, this is my chance. I need to take it. And so I stood up and I went to the front and I asked Jesus into my heart with one of my youth pastors. I was saved on June 29th, 2017. My life has changed completely because I've found a friend group that really, really, really impacts me a lot. They are all in for Jesus, and every single day, I just know that they're going to be there for me through thick and thin. I've always wanted to be a leader, and I didn't really know what that meant to me. And since I've been saved, I feel like God's been tugging on my heart to lead other kids my age to Christ. Isn't that awesome? Man, I just love the way that God saves people. <laughs> Isn't it great? I mean, as, as she said, you know, as if no one else was there. That's the way God is. He just puts a circle around us and says, I'm talking to you. And he has a way of wooing and drawing and convicting us and touching our hearts. 
And I love the fact that God is reaching the next generation through our church. And, and really, that's a big part of our Reach 2020 vision. We want to continue to reach the next generation for Jesus Christ. But the only way we're going to do that is if we continue to see people the way Jesus sees people. And that's what we're going to learn today. So this is what I want you to do. Take your Bibles, open up to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 7, Luke 7. And then also, you can take out your Bible study outlines. They're found here in the center of your bulletin. I encourage you to follow along and take notes. As most of you know, last week we began a brand new series called Table Talk. And you know, what's this about? Well, it's basically meals with Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. 20% of the Gospel of Luke is Jesus having meals with people and just hanging out with people. It's amazing. I mean, one person said, you know, in the Gospel of Luke, either Jesus is going to a meal or he's at a meal or he's leaving a meal. And you go, well, why in the world would Luke organize his Gospel around meals? Well, it's like this. He's saying, you know what? If you really want to get to know somebody, hang out with them at a meal, right? I mean, we do that even today. We're like, hey, why don't we have lunch together, right? And you get to know somebody, and that's what Luke is doing. Luke is saying, you want to know who Jesus is and how he loves people, check out his meals that he spent with people. In fact, Jesus was actually criticized for hanging out and having so many meals with folks. Look at how Jesus describes himself. It's found in Luke chapter 7, verse 34. Jesus says this about himself. He says, the son of man, that's a term for the Messiah, the son of man has come eating and drinking. And now he's going to talk about his critics. And you say, the critics, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, what's interesting is we know Jesus's mission, right? Jesus's mission is to seek and save the lost. But what was Jesus's method? Do you know? It was hanging out with people and having meals with them. That's it. I mean, Jesus showed us how to reach the lost. Will you just have meals with people? Can I tell you, if every one of us in this room would decide once a month, we're gonna have a meal with someone who's not a church member, somebody that's outside of Christ. You know what would happen? We'd change this city. Why? Because that's how Jesus did it. Jesus reached the lost, how? By having meals with them. And who were the lost? Well, tax collectors and sinners. And what's interesting is, and as soon as that criticism was made against Jesus, Luke didn't try to debunk it. No, two verses later, you find Jesus hanging out with a sinner. And that's our story today. Check it out. It's found in Luke chapter 7, beginning verse 36. It's the second meal found in the gospel of Luke. Look what the Bible says. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on there. Now, what a scene. Now, from that scene, we're going to actually discover two different groups. I mean, Jesus is having a meal with two extremes— You got the ultra-religious, and you got the ultra-sinful. And Jesus is hanging out with both. But what we're going to discover is that these two individuals represent two groups. And so whenever we study this today, I want you to honestly evaluate yourself, which group are you most like? Are you more like the ultra-religious, or are you more like the ultra-sinful who's repentant? Okay? And so this is what I want you to do. Jot this on your outline. The first group is this. Jot this down. Those who just go through religious motions those who go through religious motions. See, there's a lot of people that call themselves Christians, but they're Christian in name only. Now, they may come to church, 
But you know what? The reason why they come to church, because that's what they did as a kid. Or they come to church because that's what other people expect them to do. But whenever they come to church, they don't really come to, with a heart of love to Christ. No, it's just they're just going through the motions. I mean, when they sing, they're not worshiping. No, they're just singing songs. When they hear a preacher, you know what? It's just for information. It's not for transformation. I mean, they may even pray perfunctory prayers, but it's not to commune with God. No, they're just going through the motions. Do you know that is who this religious leader is in this story? Check it out. Look again, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. In your outline, circle the word Pharisee. The host of that meal was a Pharisee. Now, his name, we find out in verse 40, his name is Simon. Now, there's a lot of Simons in the New Testament, so I don't want you to confuse this Simon with some other Simon. This is not Simon Peter, that's one of Jesus' apostles. This isn't Simon the Zealot, that's one of, another one of Jesus' disciples. This isn't Simon the leper whom Jesus heals. This isn't Simon Cow, okay? This is Simon the Pharisee, okay? And who's a Pharisee? Pharisee is this guy who basically is a keeper of the religious law. And typically, the Pharisees did not like Jesus. So you go, well, why in the world did he invite Jesus over if he doesn't even like Jesus? Well, this guy is sort of the elder of his city. He's probably the richest guy, most you know, influential guy in that city. And it was customary that whenever you had a traveling rabbi, especially somebody as popular as Jesus, well, it was sort of expected of you for you to do your civic responsibility and host a meal for that rabbi and all the who's who's of that city. And so that's why he's doing it. He's just going through the motions. We're gonna find out in just a second. He doesn't even like Jesus but he's doing this because that's sort of what's expected of him. Now, you may go, well, why in the world did Jesus accept this invitation whenever Jesus obviously knew his heart, right? Well, it's because it's very simple. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And this Pharisee, Simon, is a sinner who is lost in need of a savior. That's why Jesus is having a meal with him. Jesus has meals with sinners, and Simon happens to be a sinner. Now, the people at this dinner, it would be like a who's who's list of everybody in that community. Everybody, this is a big event to be at this dinner. Now, there are certain rules of etiquette in that culture in that day that whenever you're gonna have a meal and you invite an honored guest over, there'd be certain things that'd be expected of you. One of them is that you would have somebody wash this honored guest's feet, right? I mean, because everybody wore sandals back then and all the roads were dirty and dusty, and so it would be customary that you would have to wash your feet before any meal. And so if you had an honored guest, a real honored guest, the host would wash the feet of the honored guest. Or at least you have your servant wash the feet of the honored guest, right? Or bare minimum, you'd provide water for your guests to wash their own feet. Did Simon do that for Jesus? No. Check it out. Verse 44. Jesus said, when I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. Second custom of that day is to greet a person with a kiss. That was very customary. If you're going to greet somebody of similar social status as you, you would kiss them on the cheek. If you're going to greet somebody of a higher status than you, you may kiss them on the hand, right? Did this man offer a kiss to Jesus? No, look at it, verse 45. Jesus said to Simon, you didn't greet me with a kiss. Think of it, think of it this way today in our culture. You invite somebody over your house and then you ignore them. You don't shake their hand, you don't greet them, you don't say hello, you don't say hi, you don't even give them the you know, nod with the eyebrow lifted. Hey, hey, 
right? You don't even do that. I mean, this is an insult, right? This man is insulting Jesus. And then there's a third practice of that day. They would give the honored guest, you know, olive oil to anoint their head. It wasn't very expensive, but it was customary. Look at what Jesus said, verse 46. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head. Now, here's this religious leader. I mean, he, he's doing everything he's supposed to do, right? I mean, he, he's probably a leader in the synagogue. He's doing his, you know, civic duty. He's probably patting himself on the back going, wow, look at this spread I've put out. I mean, you got everybody who's important here in Capernaum is here at this meal. Oh my goodness, I'm a good civic leader. And yet he has no heart, no love, no desire to know anything about Jesus. Jesus expressed this about the religious leaders of his day. Look at it. It's found in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. Jesus says this, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In your outline, circle, hearts are far from me. This is what I want you to do today. Let's stop talking about Simon the Pharisee, and let's start talking about you for a second. You understand, Jesus knows your heart, right? He knows what's going on. He knows that whenever you come here to church, if you're just going through religious motions or if you're all in. I mean, you know, whenever you're singing, he knows whether you're just singing a song or whether or not you are truly worshiping him. I mean, he knows, you know, if you're really paying attention whenever we're studying the word of God together. I mean, Jesus knows. You may put on a great act here. Jesus knows exactly what you're like when you're all by yourself. He knows your heart. Jesus knows you. And can I tell you something? Just as insulting as it was for Jesus to show up at that man's house and for him to be neglected and treated that way, it is just as insulting for you to come to the house of Jesus Christ and you pray and act like you're worshiping and yet your heart isn't doing it at all. That is insulting to Almighty God. And yet that's what we do. We play games with God and go through the motions. That is the religious leader. That's how he treated Jesus, and sometimes so do we. So what's the second group that's here? It's represented by this lady. It's those who have a radical abandonment for Christ. They're all in, just like the testimony you just heard. She says, now I have a bunch of friends who are all in. What does that mean? They're radically living for Jesus Christ. Now, in that culture in that day, you know, rich people, they would have typically a courtyard as a part of their home. And on warm evenings, they would have their meals out there in the courtyard. And in a big gathering like this, Jesus would be out there and they'd have their meals, but then there'd be all these onlookers all around the courtyard. Now, they weren't invited guests, but they were onlookers and they were there because they wanted to see and hear the conversations of the rich and famous of their community. Well, that's where the story turns. It moves from the religious leader to one of these onlookers. Who is she? Look at how she's described in verse 37. A certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there. In your outline, circle immoral woman. This woman is most likely the town prostitute. Now, I know Hollywood glamorizes prostitution, but there's nothing glamorous about this. There's no little girls that grow up going, Ooh, I, I want to grow up and be that. No, this woman hates herself. She hates what she's become. She hates what she has to do to earn a living and eat. Now, somewhere along the way, she's obviously heard Jesus teach. 
Maybe she was at the meal we studied last week at, at Levi's house with all the tax collectors and sinners that were there. And maybe she heard that God loves her and desires a relationship with her. And something in her heart began to soften. And she's thinking, could it be true that even somebody like me could become a follower of Jesus? And something in her heart begins to crack. And so she comes to that meal. And what does she do? Check it out, verse 37. She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Now, I want you to just picture the scene for a second. Here's this woman who's on the outside. There's like this invisible line between the invited and the uninvited. She had the audacity of crossing that invisible line between the notables and the nobodies. And she comes close to Christ and she enters into Jesus's personal space. In that moment, you know what? There would be, oh, what is she doing? How, how dare this woman show up here? Everybody knows who she is. Some people are glaring at her. Some people are, you know, just thinking all these evil thoughts against her. And yet, what does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't do anything. He doesn't tell her to leave at all. And she knows by Jesus' silence that there's acceptance. And what does she do? She falls on her knees. And in her heart, she's broken before God. I mean, suddenly tears begin to flow down her face onto Jesus' feet. Martin Luther called this heart water. And suddenly the tears begin to flow. And as the tears begin to flow and fall on Jesus' dirty feet, they begin to streak. And they look like little, you know, mud trails on Jesus' feet. And she's like, well, I can't ask for a towel. You know what? What does she do? She takes down her hair and starts wiping Jesus' feet dry with her hair. Now, when she would have done that, in that moment, there would have been an audible gasp. <gasps> Why? Because in that culture, in that day, women wore their hair up. And the only time a woman ever brought her hair down was in the bedroom with her husband. That's it. In fact, the Jewish Talmud said that if a woman brought down her hair in front of anyone else, that was worthy of divorce. And so here's this woman who broke all the cultural norms, and she lowers her hair. She's crying at Jesus' feet, you know, washing Jesus' feet with her hair. And then what happened? She takes this, you know, this very expensive perfume. Most likely, those were the tools of her trade. And she does what? She pours it all out on Jesus' feet. She's saying, I won't need this anymore. I'm not going back to my past. I'm all in following Jesus Christ. And she anoints Jesus' feet, and she's kissing Jesus' feet as a sign of her affection and her worship and her surrender to Jesus Christ. Folks, this is one of the most beautiful acts of worship found in all of Scripture. And yet, religious people, if we saw that, we get all offended. Oh my goodness, you Jesus freak, I can't believe you, right? We get offended. That's what happens here with the Pharisee, Simon. Check it out, verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. He saw this, and what was it? He was scandalized. He's like, well, I can't believe this is happening in my house. Oh my goodness, what's going on? And, and suddenly his anger moved from the woman to Jesus. Jesus should do something, right? What's he expecting Jesus to do? He's sort of expecting Jesus to stand up and said, 
Woman, quit making a fool of yourself. Would you get out of here? Would you stop that? That's what he's expecting Jesus to do. Or at least for Jesus to turn to his guests and say, well, you're gonna have to forgive this woman. She's a groupie and I can't control my fans. Hey, um, could you call security and get her out of here? That, that's sort of what they're expecting Jesus to do. But Jesus doesn't do that. Now, let me just quickly add. By Jesus accepting this woman's worship, he wasn't condoning her sin. We're gonna see that in just a second. But by Jesus accepting her worship, what he was saying is, is that this woman has truly repented. This woman is all in. This woman is a true follower and worshiper of Almighty God. That's the power of the gospel and forgiveness. One author put it like this. By the power of this gospel, prostitutes have been reformed. Alcoholics have become sober. Proud become humbled. The dishonest become models of integrity. All because of the transforming grace of a forgiving God. That's the power of the gospel. And yet here's Pharisee Simon. He's been taught, oh no, if you touch a sinner, you're now defiled. And so his anger comes on Jesus. Look what he thinks. Verse 39, he said to himself, these are thoughts. He's not saying it out loud. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Well, Jesus is more than a prophet. He's the son of God. And he not only knows what's going on in her heart, he knows what's going on in Simon's mind. I love the way verse 40 is translated in this translation. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. It was almost as if he said these words out loud to Jesus. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Now, you can imagine Simon's like, oh, it's about time you said something. Jesus' attention's about to kill me. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus uses this as an opportunity to tell a parable, a story. It's table talk, right? And so check out the story Jesus tells, verse 41. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to another. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debt. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? So it's a simple story. He got two debtors. One owes Jesus and one owes the, the master 500 silver coins. That's like two years wages. The other one owes 50 silver coins. That's like two months wages, right? But here's the deal. Neither of them could repay. Both of them were equally forgiven. So who do you think is gonna love the most? Well, Jesus says that, verse 43. Simon answered, well, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. And now Jesus is about to expose Simon's heart for the fraud that he really is. Look at what he does in verse 44. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, he's gonna use the woman as an example. He turns to her, but he's gonna point out the fraud and hypocrisy in Simon's life. Look at what he says. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, this repentant woman, she is a true worshiper. You, the Pharisee who know all about God, you're not. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, Simon, 
she did what you neglected to do, and you're the one who's supposed to know better. Simon, this is what's happening here. She's a worshiper. You're not. She repented. You don't. She serves. You won't. Bottom line, you want to see what's going on in the spiritual realm? She is forgiven. You are not. That's what Jesus is saying here. Check it out, verse 47. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she's shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. And so from that, I want that little story, I want you to ask yourself three application questions, okay? From that simple story, first application is this. Jot this down. Number one is, who am I most like in this story? Who am I most like in this story? Am I like the Pharisee who goes through the duty and all the religious motions? I mean, be honest with yourself. When was the last time you had a moment like that woman had with Jesus? When was the last time tears flowed down your face in act of worship? When was the last time you had a radical, crazy, abandoned, all-in moment of worship and sacrifice to Christ the way she did? When was it? You see, the bottom line is, is that Christ wants our heart. He doesn't want our religion. He doesn't want us going through checking the to-dos and the don'ts. He wants our heart of love. That's what Jesus wants. In fact, Jesus confronts Christians who are not all in, who don't have a heart passion for him. In fact, check it out. Look at what Jesus says to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. Jesus says this, I have this against you that you have, look at it, left your first love. In your outline circle, left your first love. You see, it's a problem. That may be your problem. You've left your first love. You're just going through the motions. So be honest. Have you left your first love, Jesus Christ? Because he wants your heart. He does. Now, um, I've shared this before with you. Most of you are probably familiar with the old Righteous Brothers song, You've Lost Your Love and Feeling, right? I mean, um, it's not a Christian song, even though it's sung by the Righteous Brothers, right? Um, (laughs) You know how it goes. You never close your eyes anymore when I kiss your lips. And there's no tenderness like before in your fingertips. You're trying hard not to show it, baby. But baby, baby, you know it. You can join with me. You lost that love and feeling. Oh, that love and feeling. You've lost that love and feeling, and it's gone, gone, gone. Oh, oh. can I tell you what? That's some of you. If you're honest, something's happened. And you know what may have happened? It may be the second thing. Jot this on your outline. Number two is this Do you realize how much you've been forgiven? Do you realize how much? You've been forgiven. See, what happens as followers of Christ, over time, we become like Pharisees. And we've cleaned ourselves up. And you know what? We look at ourselves and go, you know, we're not really all that bad. No, we're we're really not. We're not that bad as sinners. I mean, you know, compared to everybody else, right? I mean, basically, sure, I know I'm a sinner because nobody's perfect, but I'm not really all that bad. And what we do is we compare our sins with others and we go, okay, well, that's big sins over there. And, you know, that prostitute and that thief, okay, that's big sins. But you know what? God looks at our pride and self-righteousness as just abhorrent. 
See, the fact is, the problem that Simon had was he was comparing himself with this other woman. And in comparison, he's like, I'm not all that bad. But what Simon should have done was compare himself with the righteousness and holiness of Almighty God. And if he would have compared himself with the righteousness of God, he would have been just as undone as this woman was. See, that's why Jesus told that parable of that story. Look at it again. Verse 41. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces of silver to the other. Here's the point, verse 42. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debt. See, the point of this story is not that some of you have a 500, you know, silver debt, and some of you only have a 50 silver debt. The point of this story is none of us can repay. We're all indebtors to God. We are all helpless before Almighty God. That's the case. I mean, you've probably heard this criticism of Christianity before. Well, you Christians, you use your religion like a crutch. Well, let me clarify for you. Christianity, in Christianity, you don't need a crutch. You need a stretcher, right? Because we're all dead in our trespasses and sins. Think about it, folks. If you're drowning, it doesn't matter if you're drowning in 50 foot of water or 500 feet of water, you're still drowning. And you desperately need a savior, Jesus Christ. And whenever you realize how much you need Christ, you'll be like this woman and you'll be all in. But this man, the Pharisee, was not. Why? Because he didn't see himself as all that bad. There's a third application question to ask yourself. Am I willing to bow at Jesus' feet? Am I willing to bow at Jesus' feet? There are 10 references to Jesus' feet in about six verses here. It's the only time in the Bible. Luke, over and over and over again, says Jesus' feet, Jesus' feet, Jesus' feet. What is, what's Luke doing? He's telling us more than where she camped. He's given us an invitation. To be a follower of Jesus Christ means we fall at his feet. That's what it means. So just imagine for a second that you were that woman and you were at Jesus' feet, and you were kissing Jesus' feet, how would that feel? Would you feel a little humiliated, a little embarrassed? Oh my God, I can't believe I'm I'm doing this at Jesus' feet. This is undignified. And yet every one of us, you know what we gotta do? We gotta fall at Jesus' feet and camp there for a while because it was those feet that walked the dusty roads of Galilee bringing the good news to us. It was those feet that carried Jesus to Jerusalem, even though he knew he was going to be falsely accused and judged. It was those feet that carried a cross up Golgotha. It was those feet that are going to be pierced through so that we can be forgiven. You and I are called to bow at the feet of Jesus Christ. But you know what I've discovered? We won't have that all-in surrender, passionate love for Jesus unless we have exclusivity. You see, Jesus wants us to be exclusive with him. That's how we have first love, is exclusivity. I mean, think about it. In any relationship, in a marriage relationship, you may be in love with somebody, but then what happens? Time and busyness and other things and other people begin to crowd out that love. And suddenly, you don't have that heart love anymore. Why? Because you're not all in exclusive just for that other person. You know, some of us, are like people who are living together, right? I mean, some of you are like, you know, you're sort of like a person who comes to his girlfriend and says, hey, why don't we move in together? 
Which, ladies, if you don't know that, being translated means this. Hey, why don't I get all the benefits of marriage without any commitment and sacrifice? That's what it means, right? And some of us are the same way with Jesus. Jesus, I want to keep playing the field. I want to follow you, but I want to be in the world at the same time. I don't want to be exclusive for you, Jesus. I want to play the field. Hey, Jesus, can we move in together so that I can have all the benefits of Christianity, but there's no sacrifice? And Jesus said, no, you got to be all in for me. you got to bow down at my feet and say, you are my Lord. I'm surrendering all. And Jesus is saying in this story that based on what's happened in your heart, is going to be lived out in your life. Check it out. Look at what it says, verse 47. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. And as a result of her forgiveness, what? She has shown me much love. He reiterates this in verse 50. Look at it. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, this is important. Jesus didn't say, your good works, your worship have saved me, saved you. No, your faith has saved you. We're saved all the same way, folks. We're all desperate sinners, and we come to Jesus, and we surrender all, and that's that faith in Jesus Christ that saves us. And then as a result, as an outgrowth of our faith and love in Christ, suddenly we're all in worshiping him. That is what Christ wants. He wants us to be worshipers like this woman. And so let me ask the simple question again. Who are you most like in this story? Somebody that's just going through religious motions or somebody that has radically fallen in love with Jesus Christ? Jesus says, that's the person I want following me. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please, stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.